Are you ready to be stirred and receive an impartation of faith to move forward into all that God has purposed for your life? Welcome to the Stirring of the Waters podcast. I am your host, Elaine Haynes. I will be sharing what the Lord has given me through the anointing of the Holy Spirit on the Logos and Rhema words of God. Welcome to Stirring of the Waters. I'm your host, Elaine Haynes, and today is episode 17, What Stops the Word of God from Taking Root and Bearing Fruit. Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and it ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's John fifteen sixteen. I think we all want to bear good fruit, the eternal kind that remains. I guarantee we all want to be in the place that whatever we ask the Father in Jesus' name, that he will give it to us. So what blocks the fruit-bearing process? In the parable of the sower, we can see the issues that arise in our heart that stops the word from taking root and bearing fruit. In Mark 4, 3-8, Jesus tells us the parable. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground, and did yield fruit, that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And then Jesus explains the parable to the disciples. In Mark 4, 14 through 20, the sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, Immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering in, chokes the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So there's a lot here. I'm going to break it down as the Lord, as the Holy Spirit has spoken it to me, um, and I've applied it to my life um, over and over and over again over the years. In, in Mark 4.15, it says, these are those by the wayside. We're talking about the Word of God. God is the sower of the Word, and He's wanting to sow it into our hearts. So, these are those, they by the wayside, where the Word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the Word that was sown. In their hearts. In Matthew's account, it says they hear and don't understand. In Luke's account, it says it adds, lest they believe and be saved. So it could imply not being a Christian, but it could also mean not having fullness of salvation. And when we enter new territory, there may be hesitancy, fear, uncertainty. It might be that the words we hear, we don't understand. We don't understand what's going on. We don't know how to apply it. So we discount it, we ignore it, we say it must not be for me, 
etc. On the wayside, it says Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was on the wayside. This is the outskirts of the camp where you're not connected to other Christians. You've got one foot in and one foot out. It leaves you open to enemy attack. If you look at herds of animals, you can see the ones that are falling behind or on the outskirts, they're the ones that get attacked first. It's really important to stay connected to other, other believers so they can encourage you, so they can exhort you. So when we're honest and open with one another, um, you know, if Christians are to love one another, we help each other see our blind spots. So wayside can also mean being not fully in, half-hearted, just an observer, not even trying to understand, or still relying on self and not even willing to ask what it means. <coughs> Excuse me. Hardness of heart applies here, not wanting to hear fully, because then you have to look inside and be held accountable to change. So the second ground is Mark 4, 16 and 17, and these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. I just want to touch on that one part briefly, which I'm not going to go into great detail today. At a later time, I will. When affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, there's a process by which we have the trying of the word. And, and I don't have time to go into that today, but I will go into it in, an, in another episode. Uh, perhaps next week, I'm going to be starting to talk next week about how the word of God divides the soul from the spirit and that, that process, the trying of the word inside us. So I might um, be able to get into it the next week, or if not, maybe the week after, I might be doing a series on that. So anyway, back to um, Mark 4, 16 through 17, the stony ground. Now Luke says they believe for a while, but then in time of temptation, they fall away. So when you have no root, it says they have no root in themselves. So if you have no root, there's something blocking the rooting, okay? And we're talking about stony ground, so it's obvious there's rocks, okay? So you can't get deep roots if the ground hasn't been furrowed up and the rocks taken away. This could imply to dry, hard hearts who want instant change because it said the scripture said they're glad about the word at first. They receive it with gladness, but then not if they have to work at it. So not willing to spend the time or effort. It's too hard. Oftentimes there will be a temptation to take what seems the easy way out because it looks like too much work. It seems too hard to break down some of those old mindsets that we have that are just buried in there because of all the things that have happened to us over our life. But temptation for the easy way out, there is no easy way out. You just keep going around and around it again. It'll come up again. It'll keep coming up. We have to do the work. And if you let the Holy Spirit guide you, it's not, it's, he'll give you the grace to do it. So, um, Anyway, so plants, you have to plant plants in ground with rocks or removed. The soil has to be furrowed. Then that part of that furrowing is the process that God takes us through, that are the, the trials of our lives, the, th the hard things we go through. If we turn to him and allow him to come in in those places, our so the soil of our heart will be furrowed up. It will be softened. And then we can receive the water that we need. Water can't absorb in hard-caked soil. It just runs off. And then when I first, I've always loved plants, but many years ago it was just, you know, potted plants. I love plants in general, but I didn't know anything about gardening, really. Um, so first I learned about house plants 
and I those were in pots they were easy to take care of but then I wanted to start planting things outside and the, so the first time I did that I knew nothing this was before the internet um, so I just took I didn't even have the right tools I took a tea, a tablespoon and I had this little like four inch pot of a flower and I went in between oh, I didn't have much ground either so I, I wanted it right in between these two big pine trees so I dug enough out of the ground just to put this little four inch pot in so I took the pot off of it I stuck it in the ground and it didn't live I mean it lived for a very short period of time it had the ground around it hadn't been furrowed up it hadn't been prepared so that the plant could its roots could spread out and the water would just run off because you know and really nothing grows under pine trees so so you have to have the right soil this soil has to be prepared it has to be furrowed and so anyway back to our rocks the rocks that we have the old mindsets have to be broken rocks of religion um, false doctrine um, religion meaning wanting to do it the same way over and over again tradition um, versus hearing by the Holy Spirit versus being led by the Spirit um, it can be self-orientation is the rocks that's a huge rock of ego of self of pride um, needing healing from wounds are big rocks rocks of unforgiveness bitterness critical judgmental condemnation towards others or self we need to do the work to have our mind transformed we're renewed by the by the transforming of our mind to the word of god so when you have no root in yourself you haven't let the word take root in your heart so what happens you see this the root the the seed germinates and the root proceeds out of the seed and that also then the upper part the little plant comes up from the seed going up or the root goes down the plant goes up and how large the plant will grow in height or width is determined in large part by how far and deep the roots grow god uses our heart as soil for his word to form and live and the more we allow his furrowing the more thought and study we apply to his word and like get us in us the roots will go deeper and stronger so then in the, the next heart soul the third one is mark 4 18 through 19 and these are they which are sown among thorns and i'll tell you i get convicted by this one a lot um, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful the heart is often called the seat of our affections and we're told in proverbs 4 23 keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life so in the parable of the sower we that shows us three areas of what chokes the plant or the word from growing to the point of having ripe fruit so there's the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things and in luke um excuse me um it also says the pleasures of this life so when i'll tell you when i read that account in luke because i enjoy life i love i appreciate i'm thankful for my five senses that god has given me to to be able to appreciate beauty um to smell the flowers to to sense um to touch all those things i love i really love the love of of um the enjoyment of life itself and there's nothing wrong with that i just want to make that real clear it's when we give ourselves over to pleasures more than loving God so so back to the first part cares the cares of this world and I think we can all relate to this because we can caught up in this in a moment 
worry and fretting. And in Luke, it says, cares, riches, and pleasures of life bring no fruit to perfection or completion. That's what all those cares will do and the riches and pleasures. So in Luke 12.32, Jesus addresses our, our worries, our fretting. He says, fret not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he goes into great detail. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit, or one foot, to his stature? And why take ye thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's a lot there, but I think it's pretty straightforward. When you seek first the kingdom, God knows exactly what you need and he'll make sure you have it when we put the kingdom first. So the deceitfulness of riches, the root of the word deceitful means to cheat, to beguile, and to deceive. The deceitfulness of riches. This will cheat you out of kingdom life, out of spirit life. Jesus again in Matthew 6, this is 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now remember, we're talking about heart soil. Jesus said this is the sower soweth the seed, which is the word of God, into our heart. Our heart is that soil. And in 1 Timothy 6.10, we're told, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And Jesus gives us some pretty strong language about it in Matthew 6.24. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is riches, which is the worldly way of viewing money. And then we have pleasures. Again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient or profitable. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so that's what happens with these things, especially with pleasures, is we become enslaved to them when we give ourselves over to them. Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So again, there's nothing wrong with loving pleasure per se, enjoying the beautiful things that God has given us and the enjoyment that we can have 
um, eating, drinking, um, gardening, I'll just say gardening, going to the beach, you know, enjoying our family, love, all those things. But you don't want to come under enslavement to any of them. And Hebrews 11, 24 to 26, we're given a really good example. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. There is rewards that we will have for choosing rightly. So when you are lusting after the pleasures of this life, you're making it your God. And that root of the word pleasures is hedon, which is hedonistic, where that comes from. Living for pleasure. That is your life's source, your life's desire is to live for pleasure rather than living for God. And John tells us in 1 John 2.16, all that is in the world, these are all worldly things. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And conversely, we're told in Psalm 16.11 of what pleasures are ours who choose rightly. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Mark 4 and 20. Now we're going to talk about the good ground. These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. In Luke, it says, it adds, they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So we've got three things there I'm going to break down a little bit. Honest, good, and patience. Well, and keep also, keep the word. So Luke 8.15, he says that, you know, I just said that, honest and good heart. So honest, what is that? Truthful, without manipulation, naked and open before God, teachable, willing to yield. It's being transparent, being willing to confess your sins one to another, forgiving others and asking others to forgive us when we sin. Having a good heart is God's heart. Not our deceitful heart that's self-focused, but God-oriented, focused on serving God and serving others. That's a good heart. Wanting to do right. In Micah, it says, What does the Lord require of you, O man? He says, To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before thy God. So patience. It says, Bring forth fruit with patience. Patience in this application is to guard the process of the word bearing fruit, that fruit of the Spirit. Doing the work to ensure we're yielding and obedient to the Holy Spirit. God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, Romans 2, 6 through 7. Patient continuance in well-doing. Patient continuance in the process of that word going deep into our lives, allowing it to, uh, to allowing the word to press out the other things, to do the weeding. When you see the other things that are coming up against the word, to pull them as things out, or God will. I'll get into that shortly. And Jesus said, here gives us a good example of keeping my words. Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. John 14, 23. So what does that word keep mean? In the Strong's Concordance, it means 
To keep, God, to keep Jesus' words, it means to attend to them carefully, to take care of them, to keep an eye on them, to guard from loss. So, you know, continuing to pay attention to the word, to, to think about it, to let it apply to your life, to meditate on it, to see what mindsets are in you that are coming up against it, those arguments that we have. The, the lofty reasonings that we have for why that, well, he must not mean this, really, not really, he can't mean that. And, you know, the words are, they're seed, we tend to them, we guard them from loss. And the reality is we're always hearing words. Words are all around us. We speak words. We hear the words that we speak. We hear others' words. Every seed that we allow in our heart will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Is it the kind God desires? What happens if it's the other kind of fruit? We're told clearly, these are both from New Testament verses, um, Luke 3 and 9, and now also is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That's Jesus. And then Jesus also says in Matthew 15 and 13, but he answered and said, every plant, every plant, which my heavenly Father hath not planted, shall be rooted up. So how do we get the 30, 60, and 100-fold return? That speaks, the 100-fold speaks to fullness and perfection. So the 30, 60, 100 can be a monetary thing. It can be a certain amount of fruit. Um, and I'm going to get into that whole gardening process and how it applies to us as far as, you know, the getting the 30, 60, 100. Um, it's to be yielding all that it is designed to produce, the 100-fold. Because only God knows for sure what is the expected increase because he designed it. And he specifically designed certain ones for your life. So we do our part and God will bring the increase. Now, I love to garden. And the Lord, he speaks to me a lot during my gardening time. And in the process of learning how to have a productive garden, there has been a lot of application to my Christian walk. The first thing that happens when a seed is planted in the ground is that there's a hard covering over the seed and it has to get broken off. Now, we don't necessarily break it off, but we put it in the ground and we water it. And through that process that which we can't see because it's under the ground, that husk around the seed breaks apart. And one of the important things, again, back to the first thing, is planting it in good ground, taking out the rocks, taking out the sticks, taking out those things that are going to hinder those roots spreading out. And then watering it is all a part of that process of it being removed. Now, God knows what how seeds can be released and, and to be planted. For instance, sequoia cones need fire for the seeds to be released. Some seeds need to be crushed before they're going to bear fruit. God knows what needs to happen. And, so, and there's sometimes you have to move a plant to another location for it to prosper. I've, we've had to do that a number of times. We planted it in one location, but during different seasons, we find that that's, that plant is not getting enough sun in that area, so we have to transplant it. And, you know, the same is true for us. Sometimes God will move us, not necessarily physically, to another house or to another location necessarily, but it might be to a new job, a new ministry, new relationships, because he knows what has to be added to you. For that fruit to grow and in the natural we have to sometimes amend soil it's, it's like you know, if you're a cook it's like adding spices to soup to bring out the best flavor so god will bring others into our lives to impart something necessary for our fruit to grow and he may send us to someone else for the same reason and it may not be our favorite people Sometimes it's, you've heard that old adage, uh, sandpaper removes the rough edges as it applies to our lives. You know, there's people that, that 
rub us the wrong way. But during that rubbing the wrong way, we see what's in us. It comes to the surface, and then God wants us to allow him to remove it, to us go deep into our heart, into those places that's causing offense or causing hardness, and to remove it. And sometimes if the soil is depleted of nutrients from growing too much of the same thing over and over again, other crops may be planted in that soil only to have them be turned over into the soil to enrich it. Sometimes the old has to die to bring forth the new. Jesus said that in John 12 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And, you know, if you consider corn, just as one example, I did a lot of research on this one time. Um, I'm going to actually use the example of, of an apple, an apple tree. You know, an average apple tree will bear something like 450 to 500 apples when it's fully mature. Each apple has five to eight seeds. Think about that. Each apple has five to eight seeds, and each seed is going to grow a tree that's going to produce like 500 apples a year. I mean, that's how God does things. That's the kind of abundant fruit he wants us to bring forth and that he will bring forth through us if we allow him. So you know, there's things that have to be worked into the soil at times. And God knows exactly what needs to be added and when. And he knows sometimes it's time to turn up the heat. And sometimes it's time to give enforced rest. So we have to trust him in this process. Plant needs sunlight as well as rest and moisture, which we receive in the night seasons. The soil will need water and fertilizer. What is the fertilizer in our life? That's the word. You know, when God, when you, when you're standing on a word or God is speaking a word into your heart, you know, you can, you go into scripture and you look at all the other, this is what I do anyway. I love to research. I go and I look up all the other instances of that word. I look at the context of the word you know, to, to glean out of the context of, the, of what happened before, what happens after, you know, to see how it applies to my life. I look up the original language, what it says in there in the concordance. So you've got the word, you've got worship, that adds fertilizer, prayer, fellowship with other believers, serving others and allowing them to serve us also. Sometimes that's a little harder for us that are service-minded. And then sometimes we have to treat the plant because we have insects attacking it. That's one of my, like, big hates is insects getting in my plants. Or disease has come in. And we know the, the insects we've got, you know, even after we have, we're we have to be diligent, even after we receive the word into the good ground, to make sure we don't get those insects. That's those lies of the enemy, those fiery darts, you know, that, that wants to keep us away from moving forward, that wants to keep us to stop where we're going, to be distracted to not tend our plant. And then disease, think about when our heart, how does our heart get diseased in, in the spiritual realm? Think sorrow, loss, grief, betrayal, sickness, hope deferred, discouragement. All of those things can cause our heart to be deceived, de excuse me, diseased. And we need to treat that. How do we do that? We take it to the Lord and let him bring his light, his life, and his love into that area in our heart. We cry out to him and let him minister to us. Let his grace cover us. Let his tender mercies heal us. Let his his voice, his, his comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit comfort us 
in our times of affliction, in our times of grieving and sorrow and discouragement. And we had an orchard for a season in our lives. We had a half an acre and we had a lot of fruit trees and nut trees too. And some of the things that were necessary to bring forth an abundance of fruit were difficult. Um, some particular things were really hard for me, but pruning is really critical for a number of reasons. You can have diseased and dead branches. They have to be cut off or the disease will spread. When growth is overlapping or going in the wrong direction, you have to make cuts with precision. You have to see where the new growth is going to come forth and then what direction you make the cut in the direction you want the new growth to go. Too many branches will keep light from reaching all the leaves, which then the leaves feed the fruit or the flowers. So you have to remove some of those also. And one of the hardest things for me is when you start having the fruits come on the trees or the flowers, if you have to remove some of them, if you want the bigger fruit, the bigger, juicier fruit, if there's too many fruits on a branch, it will cause the branch to bend or break. If there's too many fruits, none are going to get big enough. There's only so much energy that comes forth from the roots to feed the tree and, and coming in life from the leaves. So if you, if you have too many fruits, they're going to be um, kind of competing, if you will, for the energy. None of them are going to get big enough. They're going to be stunted and they're not going to taste good. And some will get crowded out and fall off. And also then the stems, if there's too many, the stems holding them won't be strong enough to hold the fruit when the storm comes. So how does all this apply to our lives? Too many fruits, too many things. Too many things in our hands, too many activities. Not being focused on the one thing God told you to do. What, is, what are your priorities? You know, like we were you know, saying a little bit ago, with the, the cares of this world and all those things, disease, insects, the enemy wants to get you distracted, hindered, get your eyes off of what God's doing and get it onto something else. And we have to be real careful with our time. There are good things we can do, many good things we can do. And in our zeal to be about the Lord's business, we often do things he hasn't called us to do or gifted us to do. They sound good. It's reasonable to our minds to do, but it's not what he's saying to do. He's not, And if he's not in it, it's going to become really burdensome and very time-consuming. There won't be grace to do it. We have to make sure we have enough time factored into our lives for his movement in the moment, to be open to his, his bidding, to be open to his voice, to his leading. We have to have that time. You know, in, in John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. Abiding is a, you know, if you're all frittering here and there doing all kinds of stuff, you're not abiding in him. Now, I'm not saying we sit around all day and just meditate. And, and I mean, honestly, I would love to just sit around all day and just meditate and enjoy his presence. But, you know, there's things he's called us to do. We're not, it's not all about us getting fat with everything he gives us, but to pour out unto others. And we have things of life we have to deal with. If he gives us gives you a house, you have to take care of it, and all those kind of things. You have a family, and family is your first ministry. But Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of value. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about eternal fruit, fruit that remains. 
So what is abiding? Abiding, spending quality time with him. He provides. He's our light. He's our breath, our food. He's our water. We have to have times of rest where we receive that refreshing rain from his spirit. We allow his loving attention, his breath upon our heart. Time to reflect on what he's doing in our lives and what he's showing us and applying it. It's a continuum of hearing, receiving, responding, applying, and pouring out to others what we have received. Freely you have received, freely give. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's removing those things that hinder our goal of the hundredfold return in our lives. Living a life led by the Spirit. Letting the Word dwell in us richly. Having the Holy Spirit reveal those areas where we're living for the flesh or in the soulish realm. And I'm going to be getting into that in much greater detail next week. It's allowing the ways of God to till our soil, being willing to do our part, and being diligent to care for the garden he has given us to tend, our heart. Psalm 1, the very first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And I just want to share this really quickly, is that meditate um, in my Moses book, Moses Shocked in the Desert, Learning God's Ways so We Can Enter the Promised Land. Um, there's a, one of the chapters is on words and how important words are, both words that we speak, words that we hear, what we do with the words that we hear and and. But one of the things that um, is in there is that meditate, because Joshua was able to enter the promised land, take the people in where Moses didn't. Joshua was told to meditate on God's word day and night. And when I looked that up, that word does not just mean to think about it or sit there and study it all day. It means also means to mutter it, to speak it. So how important it is that we speak God's word. When we do that, we're reinforcing it. It's getting into our heart. There's three ways words get into our heart. Things is our, through our eyes that we read, our ears that we hear, and our mouth. And what we mouth, what we, excuse me, what we speak out of our mouth enters into our ears and then into our heart. So it's really important. And Jesus tells us, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Disciples is disciplined learners. Let that word get inside of us so that we will bear much fruit. That's John 15 and 8. So tune in next week. I'm going to be talking about letting the Word of God separate the soul from your spirit. And it may turn into a series. I'm not sure. I haven't fully developed it yet. But God bless you richly as you meditate upon His Word, as you allow His processes to bring forth fruit, and as you let His counsel show you the things that you do that you need to do to tend your garden. So, Father God, I just pray grace, grace, grace to every mountain that tries to block the bringing forth of your fruit in everyone's that's listening and myself's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Stirring of the Waters podcast. If you like what you heard today, Visit ElaineHaines.com, that's A-L-A-N-E-H-A-Y-N-E-S.com, 
for books, blogs, and spiritual growth. You can follow me on Facebook and subscribe at cpnshows.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you next week for the next episode.